Hello, it's Anthony here. I was recently interviewed on the Kennedy Financial Podcast and here is an excerpt of my interview. If you want to hear the whole show, you can watch it on their YouTube channel or you can check them out on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. I hope you enjoy. I had reached out to you, I guess, several weeks ago and you were overseas at the time. So That's right. I'm glad we were able to finally put this together and, and catch up. You went to India for what purpose? What made you think about going there? Well, you know, I'm involved in personal development and my job is I, I'm a counselor and a self-help coach. So I went over there to invest in myself and learn yoga. And I thought if I was going to learn it, it would be good to do so in an environment that was created by, you know, an expert and which was supported for that um and so i went to you know a proper ashram for five weeks mm. and i also thought i'd benefit from the schedule of you know having to get up at the same time and you know uh, to reinforce it so that when i came back i um i had that um nailed to a degree that I would be able to practice on my own without having to force it too hard. And uh, I've been trying to continue practicing since I, I came back home. So you consider yourself to be a life coach as well as a communication trainer. These are things that I'm interested in from a financial wow, coach cool. standpoint. Um, right. How do, you, how, how do you see the two of those things going hand in hand in terms of you're trying to help build people up so that they can take on the challenges of life. And I'm trying to help them so that they can, you know, build wealth and be able to retire with dignity one right. day. Right. Okay. Well, I never think uh, in terms of categorizing the nature of the relationship too hard. What I see it as like, I'm a gardener for human beings. So when someone comes to speak to me, um, what I'm interested in is identifying their needs and finding how I could fulfill them or help them fulfill them as best as possible. So when you go into a garden, you don't just water all the plants, right? You know, you look and see what the plants need. Does it need a cane to stand up so it doesn't get blown over from the wind? Does it um, need um, does it need fertilizer? You need to to so for me, it's giving someone my full attention and um, making sure they feel adequately understood. And not only do they yeah feel not only do I understand try aim to understand where they're coming from, but to demonstrate that understanding. Now, once that partnership is met, then we can put our heads together from that place of that person feeling understood to figure out what their needs are and how I can best help them meet them. So the, the communication training aspect uh, has as a case of me first and foremost having cultivated those skills and then modeling them in the transaction in the in the partnership so that 
people raise their expectations of what kind of communication they expect to receive and can themselves be able to, to, to share with others. And if I know something important or useful, uh, I would never keep it to myself, but I don't primarily think of myself as a teacher, um, al although I wouldn't uh, not teach. I would like to facilitate people by asking the right questions and help bring up out their own wisdom. And then there's always the time for, you know, uncovering resources and sharing information. Well, obviously, in a nation of a billion people, you probably saw a lot of needs, everything from self-development needs, the need to improve. Right. Also, it's an impoverished country in many parts. Yes. So share that with our audience because, you know, we have a mostly U.S.-based audience. And I already mentioned in the before the interview that you're from Scotland and you do the right. Scottish Liberty podcast. Talk, talk about what you witnessed in terms of maybe both financial and personal impoverishment over in India. Right. Now, here's an, that's a really interesting question. So I was staying in an ashram to learn yoga, and that was near a city called Kombator, although I don't even know if they call it a city, despite the fact that it's got 1.6 million people living in it. For India, that might be a town. Mm. Now, when I took the bus in and visited, you know, you've got all these houses that are incredibly close, uh, sorry, buildings um, business places incredibly close together and people are just trying to eke out a living you know you go into an internet cafe and a half an hour they, on a pc that's got um windows xp on it um might be the equivalent of about 20 cents whereas the people who are maybe making more money would be uh, taxi drivers or, or people on uh, little vehicles that would take you to eight from A to B, and uh, if you're white, we'll certainly try and extract more money out of you. Uh, buildings trying to sell mobile phone chargers, um, street food, and um, yeah, there, and there's begging there, and, and it's sad. Um, then you go to a mall, uh, and um, you know, would pay for a brownie, a chocolate brownie, what might be worth more than a month's salary to hmm. one of those those people outside I, I don't know if that's um overstating the matter but yeah it was quite shocking and um i was looking at it and thinking in terms of obviously we're interested in markets and how markets could bring people out of poverty and uh, and because it's uh, and and how quickly could it be done it, it almost made me think you know, Jesus, in this situation, is there a, a role for redistribution? But of course, if we look at the history of India, they tried socialism up until 1990, and it's only in the last 25 years since they've moved towards a more market economy that a lot of the poverty is quickly being solved. They've got a lot of other problems in the country as well, but um, things are improving and that's uh, that's good to know especially when you get a first-hand vision of, of of what that kind of lifestyle might be like so another area in which you're an expert is this idea of something called the universal basic income some might argue hey if 
people of India only had a universal basic income, this would solve all of their needs. You know, the idea is gaining so much traction that even the other day, someone asked Bill Gates at a recent Reddit AMA about the idea of a UBI. And in his response, Gates, I'm quoting here from the article, Gates points to constraints in making this alternative economic system scalable today. He described how countries may not currently have the financial capacity to support a UBI, stating, quote, yes. even the U.S. isn't rich enough to allow people not to work, end quote. It's true. It is true. You know, if we could get 3D printing to the point where, you know, you can put up a house for 500 bucks and you, you might get to the point where society is so rich that people don't need to work very much. India has a population of one and a quarter billion. So where where would a universal basic income come from to do that? And would it be sustainable? Because they have tried trials in India, but the money is not coming from the community. The money is not being taxed in the population that's receiving the money. So obviously, if I take possessions out of your house and put them in your neighbor's house, and we just look at your neighbor's house, we can see, look, our basic income schemes obviously worked because your neighbor is doing a lot better, but you need to look at the economy as a whole. And what does India really need to thrive? And what, what it needs is capital investment. So if you're going to be uh, taking money from the deep end of the swimming pool and pouring it into the shallow end, okay, those people might be able to go out and buy some stuff in the short term, but it's going to end up back in the hands of the rich people um, and you will have spelt some of it along the way in bureaucracy. What India really needs is the maximum amount of free trade possible so that companies can go in and, and build factories and take advantage of the cheap labor, bring skills, train people up, help local businesses join. And then you've got a situation where it's a very litigious culture. Sorry, litigious isn't the right word. Um, officious, very official. Uh, there's lots of forms to fill out for everything. There's books being written like Make India Work, which talk in great detail about how badly overregulated the Indian economy has been and still is. I think their new prime minister is doing a good job in some areas to limit that. And the, but the thing is, you know, you go in to somewhere like, say, the Internet Cafe, for example, and um, just go online for a half an hour, an hour. They need to take your name down and your mobile number, even though they're never going to contact you if, if you're a Westerner. There's all these there's all this ridiculous busy work, and in a and you know only one percent of people pay, I believe, pay income tax in India. So the the government's been concentrating on trying to do things like. Um, get people to pay their taxes and things like that. Whereas maybe a lot of what needs to be done is getting government out of the way still. So obviously we focused most of this discussion so far in India, but the fact is you're not from there. You're from Scotland. No, you run the Scottish Liberty podcast. So that's a smaller economy. It's not a billion and a quarter people. Uh, 
it's much smaller in population. So talk about your economy there and why maybe a UBI wouldn't work there or any other economic topics. Because like I said, this is a mostly US-based audience. And I think a lot of people don't really understand the fact that the greatest export the United States ships is inflation. So maybe you can right. speak to that too or whatever comes to mind. Well, I'd actually like to hear you expound on that a little bit, just in case anyone doesn't know what you mean by that, uh, sure. myself included. Okay. So I think, you know, it's hard to improve on an expert. So I usually like to go to Peter Schiff on this show. He sure. has a great way of explaining complicated economic principles in a simple matter. And the way he puts it, it's, it's almost like the United States is like uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. And in that story, I think it's Tom who convinces all the neighborhood children to paint his fence and pay for the privilege to do so. Right. And this is the relationship that the United States right. has with the rest of the world. Right. We get to consume the world's goods and they accept our paper fiat currency in exchange. Yes. And this is a currency that's backed by nothing other than probably our enormous military. And right. it's ever depreciating. So they need more and more of it each year just to make up for what they formerly sold their products for. So I feel like you probably being, you know, uh, not from the United States and also a world traveler, maybe you're on the ground. Mm -hmm. And because you understand Austrian economics, mm -hmm. you understand the real consequences of this exporting of inflation across the world. Right. Okay. Well, I have to say I'm more worried about the enemies within our gates here in Scotland than abroad in the United States. And for me, the main concern here in Scotland is the fact that people's idea of helping the poor is very misled policies that will actually damage the poor. Uh, and, you know, it's the same old story you know, higher minimum wages, more regulations, uh, forcing employers to only hire under these conditions or that conditions or the other. Those things might improve the conditions of the poor in the short term. But what people don't realize is on a free market economy, people will have the ability to use a job rather than let a job use them. So even supposing your wage would be lower, if there's a whole selection of jobs, you can just take the job that would teach you the most skills, learn those skills, then move on to another job, learn those skills, move on to another job until you're so skilled, you can get a management or supervisory position create your own job or become an entrepreneur and employ people. And the, the worst effect of the policies that are being advocated here is they make it unaffordable for companies to train their own staff. So people end up going to colleges to learn, which is paid by the government. They sometimes give large bursaries um, free money to students uh, with no oversight, um, many of whom might just um, spend that money on alcohol and partying. They, they'll, they, they, they get it as a handout. It's not tied to their performance on the course or anything like that. And I really think that people don't really understand the degree to which this is hampering growth in the economy and actually 
going against the very goals of the people who advocate these sort of policies here. So this is just one of the many topics that you address on your podcast with Tom Laird, the Scottish Liberty podcast. What prompted you to start a podcast? What do you talk about on the show? What are you guys passionate about? And what are you hoping to achieve? Right. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, Tom and I um, met at a Scottish Libertarian Party meetups, which I went to first just for the social aspects. I wanted to meet other Libertarians, but ended up getting involved uh, with. And we and it always very much enjoyed each other's company and had very engaging uh, conversations over the Scottish national sport, which is drinking in the pub. So, uh, so we, we, we thought, hey, what, we have these great engaging conversations. Why don't we start a podcast? And we recorded one and we enjoyed it so much. We started doing it weekly and uh, we bring two different sort of perspectives. Um, his is quite a visceral, let's say, um, emotional approach, uh, but hits the right buttons to sort of crack the egg open, then you, what tends to happen is I disassemble the egg and we have a converse, convert. Once the sledgehammer has been taken to the issue, we kind of separate the parts and talk about it in a little bit more detail and analyse it, say from a uh, uh, respect of Austrian economics. or And we, we cover the news, we cover history, we cover economics, whatever whatever we think might be interesting to us and our audience. And it's not too always too serious. We always have a laugh. We, all, we make each other laugh quite naturally. And, and hopefully, if people like to tune in, we'll make you laugh as well. But we'll definitely include the link on my podcast as well as the YouTube video to the Scottish Liberty podcast. I enjoy it. That was a great way to describe it. It is a like a chocolate and peanut butter combination. And that's frankly how my brother and I started our podcast. And so, right. you know, because of our conversations, we realized, hey, we should record this and maybe people will enjoy it. And it's growing right. slowly but surely. It's nowhere near as big as, say, the Tom Woods podcast. But right. who is? You got to start somewhere. Yeah, that's right. You've got several hundred uh, subscribers on YouTube, which is fantastic. And um, uh, you, you're you growing and growing. So I'm glad to see you going from strength to strength. Great. Yeah, well, we're building and we're going to keep on working at it. And persistence is really the key. And that's what we're trying to stress, whether it's your personal finances or your human development. It's just one little step at a time. You can't expect to completely revolutionize yourself overnight, whether it's your finances or your personal development. So we got That's a question right. and I didn't tell you what it was yet. So <laughs> I will get your, your extemporaneous take here. It comes from Drake on my Facebook page and Drake wrote, are there any major cases of nationalization or privatization of industry that make a strong case for Liberty? So he's saying like in Japan, they, the Japanese own the trains and in Venezuela, Venezuelan government owns the oil. So what comes to mind for you in terms of, you know, government nationalizing assets and whether that's a good idea or a bad idea? Right. Well, in my country, there's a history of the government nationalizing, privatizing, nationalizing, privatizing the rails. But the technique, the thing is, people aren't really so much for 
government owning industries anymore. There is the fringe on the far left who think that's a good idea, but we've seen the benefits of a privatization of the phones and electricity in this country, and no one really wants to go back to those being nationalized, even though they weren't really privatized in the sense that it's a free market where anyone can make energy. In order for the Thatcher government to get a decent price on our energy resources, she had to cartelize the industry so that only a few people can operate in that industry. Now, what I would say is the the more love tactic is more of a corporatist or, uh, yeah, crony capitalist approach where people don't realize the extent to which some of our industries are basically public-private partnership in a way that isn't good cons for consumers. For example, very few bus companies are allowed to operate. Um, we have pretty good public transport, and I'd say very good access to public transport, but there's not competition in the public transport. It's all uh, a couple of companies. And so it's really hard to say how limited the coverage is good but you, you there could be a lot more of it and it could be a lot cheaper and say anywhere you want to go in a scottish city you have to go into the city center first and then back out to mm. the other place so that might not be the case the government's also trying to intervene in the gig economy like uber and things like that and there's a lot of aspects of our society which, in which the government has, rather than nationalizing industries, very much restricted the amount of competition. And people cannot necessarily trace that back to government, but it is having a deleterious effect on living standards, uh, which is a great shame. And, and that's just the norm here, I think. I'm here in the D.C. area. My brother and I talk about it all the time in right. Northern Virginia. And as a result of the high-paying jobs, the government school system here tends to be better than in most places. So yes. you get a lot of folks really lauding the performance of their government schools. Right. But my argument is always, well, in comparison to what? Because we don't yes. know. We don't yes. have the unseen to compare yes. it to. So, yeah. Yes, I appreciate you saying that. And it's a very important thing because people don't understand that we've basically missed out on at least 150 years of optimization of the education system. Because if anyone could open up a private school and try things out, then some people would stumble upon things that were good to do in school. And once some of the schools adopted them and got results, then that idea would spread. And then someone would come up with another idea and someone would come up. With, and this could all be happening simultaneously. If you look at the way that our technology has changed in the last 10 years, it's been astonishing. But schools are more or less the same as they were 165 years ago. Uh, here in the UK, before there was mandatory education, 95% of children got five to seven years of education. Now, I am a little, I'm getting to feel a little bit conspiratorial about this because if private schools were so cheap that anyone 
that even poor people could save up and afford to send their kids to private school, then um, that would really undermine the need for the state because one of the major arguments is, well, who's going to educate the children? So it's not enough for the state to provide public education. They also need to intervene in private education to push the price up, which is great for them because they can still afford to send their kids to the best schools, but the average people can. And yes, we would really, really do well to get the government to a large degree. If we can't, if we can't sell people on the idea of and not forcing kids to go to school, um, then at least we could get the government out of private provision of education. Because as you say, if the private schools do well, then they're going to be modelling something that the public schools can then adopt and learn from. So last question before we get to wrapping up, Anthony. When you look to the United States, are there any politicians who stand out, someone who you would hope that politicians in Scotland would emulate? Well, the obvious one is Ron Paul, of course, uh, one of the people who got me into libertarianism because before I'd seen Ron Paul, I just assumed that if you cared about people and the poor and stuff like that, then you were a socialist. If you were against the war, you, were, you must be on the left. If you were for civil liberties, you must be on the left. Then along came this gentlemen and started talking against the war and again and for civil liberties and he was a republican and i was like what the hell mind blowing so ron paul basically um exposed me to libertarianism and is one of the people who made me hold the positions i hold today well, I think that's a good place to end. Anthony, this inf interview has been great. I'm sure our audience will find it extremely interesting. How do they keep up with your work and follow your podcast and everything that you keep busy with? Yeah, please look up Scottish Liberty Podcast on iTunes. Um, I think you'll very much enjoy it. It's also available on YouTube if you prefer to watch with video. Um, my website is www.beyourselfandloveit.com. It's currently under construction, but uh, that is the transformation that I want to bring to the world. And before I forget, I don't want to make too many calls to action, but I've got a free ebook which you can get at anthonysamaroff.com. You just pop your name and email address in, and you'll get my free ebook. So, um, Thank you so much for having on me on your show. Thank you to everyone listening for hearing my views. And I uh, hope we can do this again sometime. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Anthony. Anthony Samaroff of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Thanks for coming on Kennedy Financial. Thank you.